The modern selfie has established itself as the latest form of self-expression. Is it a harmless fad or a dangerous sign of modern society's growing narcissism? We are living in a selfie culture of self-centered, self-promotion, and self-glorification. We want to know ourselves, be ourselves. We want to snap ourselves. We take personality tests and read books to label our strengths and weaknesses in hopes of fulfilling our role in this world. Authenticity and self-awareness are worthy goals and even biblically encouraged. But often without warning or intention, this drive to know ourselves becomes all-consuming. It's near impossible to not be affected by the age of self in which we currently live. Is it the cultural air we're breathing? Selfie culture may be new, but self-obsession is not. Our proclivity of being self-absorbed has been around since the garden. Those who would seek these things are setting those up as the latest image. This fits perfectly with the American idol of selfie culture and could not be more contrary to the biblical worldview, where self fades into the background of the King of Kings and submits to the identity of Christ. In this episode of Keep 100, we will bring light to Paul's prophecy of the end-time characteristic bend, talk about the cult of self, and the secret given to release kingdom impact. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. Hey, what's going on all our peeps? We miss you guys. We have missed you. We're so excited for this episode because I am pumped about the topic we're going to be talking about today. But before we dive into that, we got to tell you what we've been up to since we were last with you. Uh, we were at YFN, which is Youth for a Nation. It's out of CFNI, Christ for the Nations. It's an awesome, awesome ministry that happens every summer for youth and young adults. And they come together. There was probably about a thousand present yes. when we went. And Sean and I were both asked to minister. And we always feel so honored to partner with this ministry because God always moves so powerfully. Oh my goodness. We had an incredible time. I did a Wednesday night service with all the youth and it was cool. I felt like the Lord asked me to just do a personal, you know, salvation invitation at the beginning of the service. You guys, over a hundred Gen Zers came up on the platform in response to Christ at the beginning of the service. At the beginning of service, like it was powerful. It was amazing. It was so powerful. And just, we just, I preached, I went for it and the presence of God just moved. And there was, I believe really a marking moment. And what's so cool is just recently the Lord's really opened up doors for me to minister to Gen Zers and I'm loving it. I just, I love Gen Z. They are so amazing and so marked by God. And there's been some of those powerful encounters, just watching them and getting a front row seat to them encountering Jesus. Like I'm here for it. I love it. And it was awesome too, because we also ministered to the leaders and the pastors and ministered prophetically over people. It was just a strong presence of the Lord. Some people really wept, really broke. It was awesome. And then for there, it's interesting because we're talking about Christ for the Nations. The founder of Christ for the Nations, Gordon Frieda Lindsay, they actually founded a 60-year-old ministry network. And so about a week later, I was ministering in Chicago to what's called the Ministry Network founded. And so their ministers from all across the country and some overseas came. It was really powerful just to speak to these ministers and, and really together look at the Word of God. And all of us believe that we need a restoration of the power of God breaking forth in our ministries and our churches to see the harvest come in. And there was a lot of prophetic ministry. And so it was profound. It was. It was just so, so cool. I just love being connected with that organization. They're just amazing. And then we went to uh, Doorkeepers of Revival Weekend in Fresh Start Church in Peoria, Arizona yep, with yep. our dear, dear friends, the Owens. We love them. And they are legitimately in sustained revival and have yes. been for years now. Yeah. And honestly, I feel so humbled and honored that they continue to have us come and partner with what God's doing there. You guys, it was amazing. Sean prophesied and ministered on Saturday night 
night and there was a legitimate move of God. The power of God fell in the word and also at the altar time. And it was like a four hour service on a Saturday night and God moved. It was incredible. And then I got to preach on Sunday morning. And again, God moved like, oh my gosh. It was a four hour service then too, you guys. We went from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. When's the last time a Sunday morning (laughs) service went four hours? People packed the altars. We got on our faces. Oh man, yes. People were laid out everywhere. It was so special. It it was. It was such a special move of God. And God marked us with a midwife anointing in that service and something shifted. The worship team is incredible there. They took it, sang it prophetically. We turned it, we went into like intercession. It was, it was, we were on our faces at the end of it. It was so powerful. It was one of the most powerful services I've been in for a minute. And then we went from there to the Holy Spirit Conference for our good friends, Ronnie Jen Evaz in Turlock, California for a Sunday night as a conference. And so it was powerful, signs and wonders, just people getting touched. And I think if there's a moral or a lesson or a a thread that kind of sews it all together is that God is interrupting business as usual church services. Yes, He's wanting to break in his house and display afresh uh, what Jesus looks like when he is unleashed and through the power of the Holy Ghost amongst his people. And we're super excited about that, which leads us also to our our announcement. If you've not heard, Krista and I are going to be doing a conference September 16th and 17th. We are. We're calling it the Prophetic Masterclass, a two-day intensive. And you can find out all the information at shawnachristasmith.com. But let me tell you just real quick the heart of it. Why are we doing this? Because we really want a credible, authentic, prophetic ministry to erupt in the church once again. You know, we have seen the prophetic be really abused in years past. And we are just passionate about the prophetic ministry and its credibility because Sean and I's lives have been changed by the prophetic ministry. And week in and week out, as itinerant ministers, we get the privilege of seeing people get literally rocked, transformed, undone, set free, delivered through prophetic ministry. It's one of the most powerful in-house gifts, but also outside the four walls gifts. It's one of those gifts where wherever you go, you can bring heaven on earth. And so we're passionate about that. So if you want to get trained at the prophetic, you want to sharpen your senses, you want to sharpen your spiritual ears to hear what God's saying, get to the Bay Area September 16th and 17th. It's going to go Friday night, all day Saturday. You could even take a flight out uh, if you need to get back on Saturday night and be there for your Sunday service. It can happen. It can work. Uh, And I just tell you, it's not something you want to miss because it's really going to be a powerful time. We're also bringing Julian Adams, who's just a powerful prophet. He is out of South Africa, but currently lives in Boston with his family and him and his wife, Katia. She's been on a previous episode, both powerful. And he's just so strong in the prophetic. It's going to teach on words of knowledge. You guys, you don't want to miss it. Just for him, you don't want to miss it. I mean, every person that I feel like is bringing a portion, it's going to be powerful. There's going to be times of impartation, activation. So you're not, it's just not lectures. Although we're going to, we're going to teach you. We're going to get in the word. We're going to give you some meat and potatoes. We're going in deep, but we're also going to do activation and impartation, which is really fun too. So it's, it's going to be great. So you want more information again, go to shawnachristasmith.com, register today, or just find out more about it and bring a friend, promote it, spread the word because we want to pack it out. We're extending a personal invitation to you. Chris and I both want to hug your necks and meet you and just yes. come up to us. Say you're part of the Keeper 100 tribe and we we're going to make sure to take some extra time. And your life will be transformed when you start flowing in, ne- in new levels in prophetic evangelism, words of knowledge, uh, dreams, uh, just God speaking to you, the impression you're going to love it. Now, kind of moving on to some current topics, boo. Just recently, I was reading this uh, in the New York Times that a polio case was found in a New York City suburb and it's the first time in 30 years. That's crazy. And many people in this generation, you don't understand what polio in the past had done, but it's a, an immediate, it's a disease that brings immediate paralysis pretty quickly. And uh, they say that 
once you have it, there's really not much you could do. But what we have had is we've had immunizations that you get when you're young and, and people that get that do not uh, typically get polio. But it's just real rare, almost like enough to where it kind of got on the radar. That, well, wow. First time in 30 years, there is a singular polio case in the United States of America. In addition to that, a similar uh, article I read as well says there's a new COVID variant. Uh, and they're saying it's called the BA5 subvariant. And they're saying what happens is these variants of COVID, they compete with one another to become dominant. And the most contagious variant tends to win the competition because they can spread more quickly. It's literally survival of the fittest. But they're saying this current virus is more contagious over time. They say the most contagious form yet, but they say in terms of the impact and effect it has on your health, it's nowhere near as bad as Omicron and some of the other ones. But yet, Dr. Charles Chu out of the University of California, San Francisco, told the Times, it looks as if we're unable to control it. And this just sounds really weird when you put all this stuff together. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons we're bringing it up, and we'll pull all this together and we'll kind of explain why we're talking about this, because some of you might be listening, kind of getting a little triggered <laughs> right now. I, I just want to speak some truth over you. You are covered with the blood of Jesus, so you have nothing to fear and you don't have to fear COVID. You don't have to fear polio, none of that. We are covered by the blood of Lamb. But we are bringing these things up with the intention of what we're talking about, because we got to recognize the times that we're living in. And I want to talk about something else that's current that's really interesting, kind of that came across the news recently, a South African ex-Satanist testimony. You, you heard me right, an ex-Satanist testimony. This is the co-founder of the Satanic movement in South Africa. He's actually telling his personal story about choosing to leave Satanism after his heart was overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. Come, Come on, on somebody. somebody. Rian Swaijalar, a former reverend of the South African Satanic Church, stepped down from his position this mm. past May. This is recent. And he took to Facebook on July 4th, just this month. Freedom, somebody. Come on, to share his testimony. This is what's so powerful. He was performing, he, he shares this in his testimony that he shared online, that he was performing a satanic ritual by himself and which he says geared towards gaining more power and influence as a Satanist. And he said, I did this ritual and I opened myself up and then Jesus appeared and I was extremely cocky, he said. And he said, if you're Jesus, you need to prove it. And then Jesus flooded me with the most beautiful love. I mean, so powerful. He was so transformed by this one encounter with Jesus that a co-founder of the Satanist Church of South Africa renounces Satanism and says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We are seeing radical exploits and radical times because we are in a radical hour. And here's what puts the two together, boo. You know, the thing about diseases running rampant, and we're talking yep. about that. Matthew 24 says there'll be pestilence. Mm -hmm. So that's an end time scenario. But there's another end time scenario. Joel 2, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters of prophecy, old men dream dreams, young men see visions. It goes on to say in Joe 2 that there'll be multitudes in the valid decision. In other words, an outpouring of the spirit is going to sway a multitude that are about to make a decision. This guy, Rian Swajalar, is literally a prophetic sign. Those diseases are prophetic signs that what we are at right now, we are experiencing end time exploits. It's so true. This episode, we're going to be talking about this whole thing of what we have entitled selfie stick saints the current cult of self. Ooh. But really the beginning is that we live in the age of the selfie. So let's let's talk about that for a moment. You know, this term selfie was first used in 2002. And obviously we had to have the technology, you had to have the phones that could take pictures in order to bring about this whole selfie thing. And then it earned its place in history books. And then it was officially added to Merriam Webster's dictionary in 2014. Why it took them 12 years to get there, I don't know. But here's how you define a self. A selfie is defined as an image of oneself taken by oneself using a digital camera, especially for posing on social networks. Now, why is all of this important? Because I want to tie
tie the aspect of the selfie and tie the aspect that we're in the end times by taking you to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 4. And it says, and I love this, it says, but you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than love God. There could not be a more accurate series of verses on the characteristics and the trends of modern day. But if you notice, it begins by saying people will only love themselves and their money. And that whole thing is they'll be ungrateful, proud. It's saying years before it happened, for 2002, the word selfie came out. This Bible is talking about there's going to be the age of the self. Oh my goodness. Can I just give you a moment of applause for your verbiage choice for naming this episode? I just love it. Selfie stick saints, the current cult of self. Oh my goodness. And I love we're talking about the end times and we're talking about, we're recognizing of what's happening around us from pop culture, from current culture, and really breaking down the word of God. Because as the end times unfold, people will become more and more self-absorbed. And at the first of his list, Paul said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Speaking through the apostle, the Holy Spirit alerts us to the fact that one of the principal signs of the last days is what you were just talking about. I just want to come alongside and echo this will be self-love, self-consumption, and selfishness. So when Paul wrote, men shall be lovers of their own selves, he packed this announcement full of insight, yes, really pointing an arrow toward where we're at today. This verse really presents the picture of people who are self-focused, self-centered, and self-consumed. They These are self-absorbed people whose wants and needs are at the very core and center of their world. Mm. And rather than live selfless lives in service to others, their first consideration is always their own self-interest and their desires. This is how we know kind of one from the other. How did you decipher right. these two yeah. types of people? Everything else takes a backseat to their needs being met. Wow. And here's interesting. In a recent book, it was written um, called Good Faith Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant or Extreme. I love that. And it's by David uh, Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. They document that 84% of Americans believe that, quote, unquote, enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Further, 86% believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things you desire most. And 91% of people actually affirm this statement. To find yourself is to look within yourself. Friends, uh. none of what I just said, although that sounds really nice, it sounds like self-care, it sounds like, you know, kind of common narrative. None of that is actually biblical. And come on, let's bring out some Greek mythology. The Greek myth of Narcissus. This is, you know, that attractive man who was lured to, to the pool uh, by Nemesis and Narcissus fatally falling in love with his own reflection in the pool ultimately drowned. And, but you know, we have to ask the same question because we're kind of in this nemesis narcissist reality today. And if right. we transpose that to 21st century, what would that actually look like? And this is the picture that I get. The person that's on their phone walking across the street, not looking around, almost getting hit by a car, oblivious, almost causing all these accidents because they're just in their own world. Taking and, a selfie. Right. And as you and I always say, it's your world. We just live in it. Yes. You know, it's funny because back in the day, if you were taking a picture, you couldn't be in it, right? True. true. I mean, all the pictures of the past, the commonality was the person taking the photo was absent from the photo. And there was those rare times, you know, when they had those timed exposures and the photograph uh, photographer had like a few seconds to scramble around and join the people in the picture. But rarely, if any, did you see anyone turn the camera around on themselves point blank for a self-portrait. Actually, the whole purpose of taking pictures was other oriented, meaning you wanted to capture the shared moment 
moments and significant milestones in the lives of loved ones. But now today, we have new technology that's opened up new possibilities. People are now armed with smartphones, editing software, photo sharing websites, and people are going in real deep, y'all. <laughs> and this new tech has given rise to the near ubiquitous contemporary art form, the selfie. You know, for some individuals, uh, typically, but not exclusively teenagers and young adults, this expanding like vista of digital photography has actually limited their vision for the subject matter and it's focused it squarely on themselves. Mm. But now I got to hit it. There's a double deception. First deception is the classic profile picture where people have brought so many filters on, they've edited stuff, they've amplified stuff, they've taken stuff out, they photoshopped stuff. And so there's a deception in that you don't really look like that. That doesn't really look like you. You're passing off a false facade of who you are. But there's also a second deception. This deception is a self-deception. It leads to the erroneous conclusion that who I am can be easily summed up in the ingredient listing profiles of the bands, brands, books, causes we like, restaurants we check into, or the songs we let everyone know we're currently enjoying. And there is a deception in the thinking that is the fulfillment and totality of who you really are. Ooh, my goodness. You know, and really what you're saying, there's such an impact on a generation. And we're really seeing this by, you know, a lot of data that's coming forward, a lot of studies that are being performed. And one of those studies is actually hashtag being 13. You actually can find it on CNN.com. And they ask these questions. And they ask this main question, why are teens so anxious about what's happening online? So we're kind of what you said, we're kind of seeing that ripple effect and the backlash and really the fallout concerning that. And this study found that it's largely due to a need to monitor their own popularity status, wow. as well as defend themselves against those who challenge it. Haters this is gonna hate. In this study, teens gave reasons for their fascination with social media. Number one, 61% said they go online to see if their posts are getting likes or comments. 21% then said, but they actually go online to make sure no one's saying mean things about them. And then 30, 36% go online to see if their friends are doing things without them FOMO. So none of them are positive reasons as to why they're online. But again, it takes that selfie concept of the phone. And again, it creates this digital world that you become self-absorbed within. And you create this world where it's all about you and the world spins around you and you forget to put your phone down and look in the world around you. So well said, Bull. Let's, let's now take a moment and look at some of the expressions of a self-centered culture. And there are basically three forms of self-expression and culture that we're going to give you. The first one is individualism, which says others don't matter. And, and you hear it in phrases like, I've got to do what's best for me. The motto is do your own thing. There are theme songs that old school, your grandfather, grandmother, Frank Sinatra mega hit, I did it my way. Have you noticed how many people uh, in our society are becoming more and more inconsiderate and rude? Like, wow, right? True. Uh, my you, goodness. You think, what's causing that? And I'd say, among other things, individualism. And as the wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 18.1, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. Boom, drop the mic. My goodness, that is so well said. You know, uh, talking about expressions of a self-centered culture, the second area that I want to talk about is secularism. And that is really with the belief system, God doesn't matter. And we really see this, although America would define itself as an, a Christian culture, a Christian nation, because 80%, I think that's a recent stat, uh, that 80% of Americans say they believe in God. But I think we have to understand we really have a secularism belief system within our society. And we see that because most people would say, hey, I believe in God. They just think God's irrelevant. They're just not that interested in God and they ignore him. They don't need God. That is until they do. Snap. You know, come on. It's kind of like what Job talked about in chapter 21, verse 14, when, when it said, the wicked tell God to leave them alone. They don't want to know 
his will for their lives. It's like, God, you stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on mine. You don't bother me. I won't bother you. You can handle the world and I'll handle my own life. But King David addresses this in Psalm 10, 4. It says, a wicked man in his pride thinks that God doesn't matter. And we have to understand, can we become so full of ourselves that we have no room for God? (laughs) Of course, we know the answer to that is an astounding all caps. Yes. The problem with a self-made man is that he often ends up worshiping his maker, which then again, he lives for himself. And it makes sense because a self-made man thinks he's his own maker. Exactly. The third category of expressions of a self-centered culture is narcissism, which is really at the heart of what we're talking about in this episode. Narcissism says, I'm all that matters. And narcissism is an epidemic in our country. Come on, all y'all out there that dated a narcissistic person. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) They're all getting amens right now. Right? Yes. All those, all that many people are interested in these days is their goals, their dreams, their desires, their fulfillment, their happiness, and their careers. And they'll step on people to get what they want. Everything is evaluated by these people by the question, what's in it for me? You can see the narcissism in these days in certain commercials. There's a Twix ad that says, two for me, none for you, right? Or the Reebok ad that admonishes men, cheat on your girlfriend, not on your workout. Literally, that makes me want to like boycott Reebok. That's like the worst campaign ever for the record. It's terrible. I'm a Nike and Adidas dude anyway. (laughs) Right. Right. Alexander McQueen, too, for for the record. (laughs) Hey, Keep Your 100 Tribe, we're going to go into the Hundo P segment where questions are presented and we do our best to answer those questions. Question number one. I thought God wanted me to be all that I can be. Why do I have to deny myself? That is a good question. I like that question. But we have really, to answer that question, you have to begin here. The ultimate of what you and I can be is to have the life and the fullness that Jesus died to give us, right? So we have to begin at that starting block in order to answer that question. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's, I mean, that is the epitome of the kingdom of God. That's the epitome of the gospel. And in a world that has upside down truth, that is going to really put people on their head, so to speak. They're not going to get that with a narcissistic mentality. Dying to self is never portrayed in scripture. We have to understand this as something optional in the Christian life. You know, so many times we think it's optional. It's not optional. Jesus says again, again, deny yourself. It is the reality of the new birth. No one can come to Christ unless he or she's willing to see their old life crucified with Christ and to begin to live in a new inobedience to God. Right. And so I think we have to really understand if you do not crucify your flesh, which is let's just define that real quick, your human desire to control and dictate the direction of your life. So you're 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 crucifying that. You're saying, Jesus, I surrender, I give you Mm -hmm. all of who I am, then invariably you're you will stop being a servant and start being a master. And when you are a master, you end being spirit-led or empowered by the Lord. Mm. You are not your own master. The Mm. Lord is your master. And that's the issue of lordship that a lot of Americans. Americans battle with. But in order for Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, he has to be your Lord, right? And your Savior, but he has to be your Lord. So one of the barriers that holds many people back from knowing, being filled with, and being controlled by the love of Christ is the idea that true happiness can only be found if I am free to live for myself. But nothing could be further from the truth. That type of thinking actually leads you to bondage rather than freedom. Mm-hmm. Living for yourself is the default option for every person, right? Yep. That, that This means that unless something happens to 
to bring about a change, we end up living for ourselves. In order to enthrone God, I want you to catch this, you have to dethrone yourself. You cannot have both. And you know, I really begin to see this as something that got toppled in our nation. And I just want to speak to this briefly. When Roe versus Wade got overturned in America this past June, which was amazing and awesome, I also recognized that there was more to what was happening in the spiritual realm than just what was happening in the natural realm. And I just want to speak to this really quick. Everything about the pro-choice movement is about my body, my right. And I know people that do not follow Jesus would not understand this line of thinking, nor do I expect them to. But as disciples of Jesus, I want to speak to those that would identify and say, I am a follower of Jesus. I have asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Us, with with that thinking and that belief system as followers of Jesus, we have to understand that when we made that stand as a nation, we actually just dethroned self. Mm. The, The worship of self is so prevalent in our society, in our thinking, it's actually in the church. And that's why there's so much division. When I'm seeing people that love Jesus, but they are pro, you know, the Roe versus Wade, they are actually, there's an agenda of self-worship, right? That is above God. It actually becomes an issue of lordship. And so what I love is that posture of Roe versus Wade being overturned on a federal level. It actually became that dethroning of self, that dethroning of that demonic narrative that has been adopted and actually uh, repeated by so many people that is not the gospel. It is, we are called to deny ourselves. And so I I really think for me, just as a prophetic person, when I heard the Lord say self has just been dethroned, that's when I begin to go, okay, come on. Because in order for a nation to shift in our worship, self must be dethroned. Wow. That is profound. I mean, three snaps. We can stop the podcast right now. Selah, man, that is is so key. You know, to stay with the metaphors of a no selfie stick saints here, uh, to make Christianity about us is kind of like what you're talking about. If you're saying it's my body, it's it's inconvenient for me, it's that. To make Christianity about us is actually the ultimate photobomb. <laughs> it's trying to That's get good. into the shot that is not about you. Mm. It is saying, hey, look at me. And everyone is saying, get out of the shot. This is not your show. The tone of the New Testament writers makes this self-repudiation a requirement for understanding and receiving the gospel. Like if you're not in that place where you can get out of the picture of your life and say it's about the Lord and it's I'm going to elevate God's word. I'm going to be obedient even at the place of denying my own desires and flesh. If you can't do that, you can't be a follower of Christ. Everyone loves the love passages of Jesus, but if you can't pick up your cross and deny yourself, he said you can't be a follower of him. And and Paul says that his best works are rubbish. So it's good that you're given to that charity. It's good that you're rescuing those dogs. It's good that you're concerned about wells in other countries. That's all important. But Paul says, your best works are rubbish. And Jesus Jesus said, any prospective follower must deny himself in order to follow Jesus, Luke 9, 23, which you uh, alluded to, Boo. And this valuation of self and subsequent repudiation of self is essential in order to embrace the sufficiency and beauty in Christ. So a great example, this is John 12, 24 through 26. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he who lives his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so kind of to answer the question, why do you have to deny yourself? I think the scripture says it. It is the way to bear much fruit. Denying yourself and following Christ is the way to bear much of God's blessings and God-pleasing fruit in this life. Because Jesus himself denied himself. You got to remember that, gang. He died on a cross, a cruel, inhumane, torturous, sacrifice 
sacrifice for you and I. He obeyed God's will to die on the cross. He didn't say in the garden, it's my life. I'm going to do what I, it's my body. He says, no, not my will, but your will be done. And as a result of that, we can be saved. So if we deny ourselves, follow him and do God's will for our lives, we're assured that that fruit that comes from our life will please him and his favor and blessing will be upon our lives. Oh, I love that. So good. So good. You know, just to continue to add to that, denying ourselves means we will give God the room he deserves in our lives. It's not about him being a killjoy over us. It means we're submitting ourselves to him because he deserves to be king over us. We're talking about the Lordship. You can only walk in, I feel like that surrender and that place of, you know, denying yourself when you have that revelation, he's my Lord and my master and not out of legalism, but out of this love relationship and recognizing he's my Lord. Therefore, I desire to give him the room he deserves my full life, every part of it. And the whole deny yourself, I was thinking about it too, boo, is it we think if we can get more junk in our trunk, we get more stuff, get more materialism, get mm-hmm. more likes, get more stuff, we'll be happy. But even behaviorists and other people Absolutely. will say those are the most miserable people. Absolutely. It's, it's like you lose what it is really about. Yeah. Next question. I feel the battle. What are the pulls of a selfie world that I have to watch out for? Ooh. Man, these are good questions. I'm loving what's coming at us. Okay, you know, I would really answer that with this. We we have to understand we live in a selfish world. So yep. we're going to be counterculture as disciples of Jesus. And that counterculture lifestyle is really key for us to embrace and live and recognize we are not meant to blend in. We're meant to be salt and light. So the world we currently live in doesn't help us pursue selflessness. <laughs> it actually encourages selfishness and self-idolization. We, you know, we're posing for selfies, we're editing our images, we're self-promoting, and we're just showing the best part of our lives. Our highlight reels is what we put on public, you know, consumption. We post selfies to get likes and admiration. And while the time we spend thinking about ourselves, yeah. but you know, it's like, and then the, those people that are just habitual refreshers and they're just always checking like with the updates on their yeah. social media posts and whatnot. And that's what begins to happen as a result when you take on that consumption, that narrative of a lifestyle and our selfies, what do they shout about us? They shout out, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I have. The world feeds our innate ability to be selfish. Uh, We want to improve our looks. We want to document worthy stuff. You know, we acquire more things to snap and to share. But we have to understand that in order for us to actually pull away from that selfie world, what do I have to watch out for? That narrative and being seduced by the selfishness that becomes the normal adoration of what we live in. Mm. The cult of self is the default religion of our age. Wow, 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 wow. Right? The cult of self is not only the faith of all secularists, but a great many Christians have also engaged in a blended cult of self and God. Ouch. And that's really important. There's very much a blended version and we have seen this in yeah. the recent years and time. Oh my goodness. Come on, talk about right? it. Right. The cult of self and God is willing to use any uncertain, nebulous, shapeless, hazy idea, quote from psychology, Buddhism, St. Paul or self-help books provided. It makes readers feel fulfilled, encouraged or a positive even, but it is not scripture, Mm-mm. right? The cathedral in which the cult of self and God is practiced is simply social media, wherein all stray quotes, ideas are married with scripty fonts and photo backgrounds or forests or silhouettes holding hands. No idea or quote is too vague or too general. And then people put that on their image and they're like, this is my truth, right? This is who I am. And it, it creates this very diluted version of who they're created to be. But the narrative ultimately is a selfish, self-imposed That's so true. belief system. Absolutely. Man, what you just 
said. And you know, there is a difference, listeners, between self-care and self-worship. Yes, you know, we're, God good. is into us taking care of ourselves, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, and it's so important to take care of your, your spirit, you're in prayer, take care of your mind, take care of your body, you know, get proper rest, all that stuff. But you're doing it for the purpose of, you recognize your body is a temple given to you by the Lord and that you have a purpose to carry out. Yeah. And, and everyone, and, and I get it, there, there's such a tenuous battle, battle with this. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Really, it's about fulfilling God's purpose and not your purpose. You, you don't have to find, you know, I've got to find my purpose. I got to find my purpose. No, I think you understand God's purpose, but what you have to find is your identity in Christ and your purpose associated with that. You know, today, you know, we, we have this society. I was thinking about this, boo, that is so consumed with self-gratification, self-glorification, that it's really not hard to fall prey. And here's the word vanity. It's the word vanity. And so easy to get caught up in this way of living, checking Instagram, like you said, for how many likes, the latest picture we got, comparing with the social lives of our friends on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, TikTok. But the reality is this doesn't help against our fight against vanity. Now, let me take a minute and define the difference between vanity and selfishness. Vanity is being overly proud of oneself, especially concerning your appearance, having a high opinion of one's own accomplishments. And what happens is, is that you puff yourself up. But selfishness is holding one's self-interest as the standards for decision-making. So vanity is about how you look. It's about how people are seeing you and your accomplishments. Selfishness says, I am now going to make a decision based on the value system of how it benefits myself. And we live in a world that is elevating vanity and selfishness. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Now, how does vanity manifest itself? Because we're still in this process of answering the questions. What are the pulls of a selfie world that you have to watch out for? And we're telling you right now, vanity is one of them. And think about it. Maybe you spend too much time worried about your appearance or your physical beauty. Or perhaps you're consumed with what other people think about you and your reputation. Or you might be concerned with your status in life, whether or not you appear to be living a seemingly successful life. So the question remains, is vanity a sin? And the answer is unequivocally yes. It is a sin because we become consumed by others' opinions of ourselves rather than concerning ourselves with the opinion of God over our lives. And vanity assures that the, the cares of the world are more important than those of God. And when we begin thinking this way, we're drawn away from God. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. It's exactly what sin does. The Bible says sin carries you away and it separates you. You know, I think that we have really have to understand. And I love what you're saying, baby. Is like our culture's infatuation with the infamous selfies, probably one of the clearest examples of the constant urge to place ourselves on the throne of our life, right? Because there's this push to really put yourself front and center, your best version of yourself. And while there's really nothing wrong with sharing special moments of your life, right? right, right. With loved ones via social media, you know, many have exchanged meaningful and actual face-to-face -face interactions for a shallow and false sense of acceptance and approval. And what we're lacking in the actual face-to-face -face interaction, because we're so consumed with capturing the moment to post it online, we're missing out on those present moments that are actually more meaningful and actually have the ability to have more depth than that false, shallow world that we're creating online. And I think Sean and I are really just trying to highlight and get people to think, why are they posting what they're posting? And have you been seduced by that narrative and that belief system? And now we don't want people to be paranoid or feel guilty or just begin to go, oh my gosh, I can never post about myself. No, no, of course not. Like, you know, there's balance in what we're saying, but we really want you to be led by the word of God and scripture and not be seduced by the sway of culture, specifically in this area, because it goes so much deeper than social media. It's way more than a selfie. And I hope you're really hearing that. It's a belief system. And that's where we're going at. We're going after a false belief system that puts you higher than God. So several questions you got to ask about yourself. 
selfie game, right? Number one, is your social media platform more about you than Jesus, right? Ooh. And when people, you know, I know people that love God, but they're like never mention God on social media. I'm like, if this is supposed to be a reflection of your life, shouldn't God be in there somewhere? Right. Right. I mean, come on. Right. A little bit, please. You got your favorite a song. You got your favorite restaurant. Right. You got your favorite, but you don't have your Lord and Savior. Right. I just, yeah. I just, so that's a good question. Number two, how much time are you spending posting and perfecting your selfie? Right. Ooh. You got to, you know, this is, here's, here's real talk. Okay. When I begin to speak as an itinerant, you know, people are taking pictures because that's what they do. And, and I love it. It's great because I, I love to connect people that were at the event. A lot of times you also get testimonies of how, like, what happened at the service impacted them. And so I love that. I love social media for that fact. But let me tell you, I mean, some of those pictures people take of me are unforgiving. Angles are unforgiving. And there was a point I, I had to make that choice where I would, if I was going to focus on, oh my gosh, those pictures are terrible from that event or just go, you know what? Not the best pictures, but the event was amazing. And what God did was awesome. And I just had to get over. I have so many horrible pictures posted of me all the time. Horrible. But I've just stopped cringing because I've gone, you know what? Who cares? It's a terrible angle. I do not look awesome. I'm sweaty. It is the worst. Who cares? God moved. And if if an ugly selfie or ugly picture gets posted of me, you know, I'm going to go with it. Why? Because it's it's just got to be bigger than that. I can't be swayed by that. You can't control everything that's put. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And you just have to recognize it's not about that. So don't worry about it. So many people freak out about what's posted about them. And I just think don't even waste the energy. Just move on with your life and recognize there's a higher call and there's a higher place that your emotions and your time can be spent giving towards. So good. And I'd say the third one is, as it relates to understanding about your selfie game. Number three, how do you feel when your post doesn't get the response that you desire? Mm -hmm. And you know, the Bible tells us to reckon ourselves and our members dead to sin. And so some of the times you can find out how alive you are to the selfie selfishness. Second Timothy chapter three, men will be lovers of themselves. You can find out how alive you are to people's opinions based on how hurt you are when you don't get the response you desire. So what is it for you? Is it you have to get, you know, 300 likes or you have to get, you know, so many reposts, you know, or you got to get so many people that will watch your TikTok. So you got this many viewers or YouTube. All of these things speak of the fact that they're probably deep within you is still too much of the focus on self. And that aspect actually becomes a weakness because you're now getting overly worked up because you didn't get the response you like. Well, Keep It 100 Tribe, our favorite segment of our podcast is the Keep It 100 Takeaways. Ooh, drum roll, please. And we're going to begin by giving you takeaways how to collapse the selfie stick of selfishness. I love that. We can I give you that. five ways. Come on, somebody. Okay, how can you get rid of selfishness? Really, hey, uh, even before I give you the first point, the, the best thing to do is love. Love, right? Receive the love of God. Love others as yourself. That's all over the Bible. That's Leviticus 19, 18, and 34. That's Matthew 19, 19, Romans 13, 9, literally many others. A lack of love is at the root of selfishness. So if you want to break it down and give you some practical tips, let me give it to you. Number one, if you're going to collapse the selfie stick of selfishness, you got to start by rejecting selfishness and get the proper perspective. The Bible calls us to reject selfishness. And you know, it's one of those sins. I think self-sins escape in the body of Christ. Like, like people can see other things in your life if it's out of control, anger, or you've got a lust problem, if you got whatever, but self-sins, not so much. One of the things I just take the time, I say, Lord, I just repent of selfish ambition, self-exhortation, self-glorification. And I quote the scripture, Lord, I pray I would do nothing 
nothing from selfish ambition and empty conceit, but with lowliness of mind, esteem others as better than myself, looking not only out for my own interests, but also for the interests of others. As I pray over that daily, it really, I believe God used it to keep me low, but it, it keeps me in a place of the proper lens and I start rejecting uh, selfishness. And rejection, you know, when I'm talking about you got to reject selfishness, rejection is not passive. It only happens if you decide to do it. Mm. So you can only reject all selfishness if you recognize it in your life and you got to start saying no to it, right? So what are the self sins that you need to reject? Think about it right now. Because selfishness is going to hurt others. Don't try to rationalize it. And if you don't admit it's a sin, you won't repent of it. Jesus died to free us from selfishness and living from that place. And like, give Jesus what he paid for. He paid for your life. And then that verse, I mentioned it, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And Romans 12, 3 says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so the bottom line is stay humble, hold others in high esteem, don't look down on others, but reject selfishness and get proper perspective. Number two, takeaway on how to collapse the self-esteem of selfishness is put the interests of others first. Paul says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. The New Living Translation renders the verse, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And Paul later says in verse 33, if I try to please everyone in everything I do, I don't just do what I like or what is best for me, but what is best for them so that they may be saved. New Living Translation. So Paul didn't put his own interests above that of others. Jesus didn't do it. Moses didn't do it. And you can't do it either to completely follow Christ and walk everything that God for you. Ooh, I love that. Come on. The third Keep It 100 takeaway is share with others and give due credit. You know, we see this in 1 Samuel 30 verses 21 through 25. And this is a story when David and his army are into going to battle and they're going back to get their kids and they're going back to get their children who've been kidnapped and all their loot that's been stolen and it is tough. But there's about 200 of David's men in the army that in route to go get the plunder that's been stolen from them, they're like, we're so weary. We're so tired. We can't go with you. So David's like, go ahead and stay. We're going to go get the stuff. So they go get the, you know, the people that were kidnapped, the women and the children, they go get all the spoils and they bring it back. And in them about getting ready to distribute all the spoils, some of the wicked men, it says in scripture, rose up and said, they didn't go with us. They're not going to get the spoils. And this is what I love. David responds and he says this, does my brother, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into the hand, the troop that came against us for who will heed you in this matter. But as his part is, is who goes down to the battle. So shall be his part, be who stays by the supplies and they shall be alike. So those that protected home, those that went to go get the plunder, those that fought in the battle, but those that actually stayed back, everyone got a reaping of the spoils. And David said, because the Lord has given us, we will share with all. That mentality, I love it because it breaks that scarcity mentality, breaks that hoarding mentality. It breaks that mentality of it's all about just what I get and it's all based off off my effort. If we have a kingdom mentality and we recognize what I love about this. And remember, we're talking about how to collapse that selfie stick, right? We're saying, how does it become bigger than me, right? Because we are sharing with others and we're giving due credit. And I love this because David considered the interest of 200 weary men and insisted they should receive their portion of the loot as well. And also David in addition sent part of the plunder. This is really cool to the leaders that were just friends of his that had just helped him and been allies in his life. So his generosity and blessing went beyond just the people that were connected to that present moment. He was like, you know what? I have abundance in my life right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give and I'm going to bless people that have been my allies, that have protected me, that have given me a safe place when I've been in pursuit 
by my enemies. They've protected me. They've gone to bat for me. And that second aspect of this point is to give credit to others. Because when we take credit for what other people have done, it's actually unfair. It's fraudulent. It's a sign of insecurity. It's actually not honest. Esther could have taken credit. We see this in Esther 2, 21 and 23. I yep. love this story. Esther could have taken credit for all the information on the plot to kill her husband, King Xerxes. But Mordecai, when he heard this and he reported it to Esther, she actually told King Xerxes, who had told her, and it ultimately spared his life. And so that good. information spared him. And because Esther was honest and she didn't try to make herself look better, and she wasn't like, oh, I heard that. I saved your life. She said, no, <laughs> Mordecai told me, my uncle Mordecai, and that's the reason you're alive is because of my uncle. And because Esther was honest with the information that she received and she gave credit to Mordecai, the king rewarded Mordecai. So suppose Esther hadn't given credit to Mordecai, then Mordecai wouldn't have received the reward that was due to him, right? And we all know he was put in the position that Haman was put in, that which, which means he was put in as number two in the land. That wow. would have never happened had Esther not been honest about whose information it was. So we want people to get the rewards that are due to them, right? All right, the fourth Keep It 100 takeaway on how to collapse the selfie stick of selfishness is be sensitive to people's personality, their nature, and their feelings. You know, I think it's a really healthy habit to always put yourself in other people's shoes, right? Yeah. Consider their perspective of situations or issues or things they're going through just as you have your own personality, nature, and feelings, they do too. And I think we have to appreciate that and value this fact. You know, a great example real quick is like Sean and I grew up super different. He grew up inner city Oakland. I grew up rural Oregon. So we look at things different because our very formative years, our childhood years, our junior high, high school, even our college years, we had very different life experiences. And so the times we'll look at things really, really different. But because I put myself in Sean's shoes, I go, oh, okay, I have learned things. Sean and I are also different ethnicities. So we have learned about each other's cultures, just even on that level, because we've taken time to listen. I think this is really important because when we're sensitive to people's personalities and their feelings, we take time to listen. Good communication starts with listening. It shows you have a regard for others. You know, if you're doing all the talking, you're never taking time to listen. You're not going to hear other people's points of views. And you also don't want to be that person that dominates the conversation. You're constantly imposing your views on them and you're even interrupting people to disagree with them, but you're not even letting people express their views. You don't want to monopolize communication. Being a good listener actually sows into relationships because relationships have to be two ways. That's so practical. So right? good. Yeah. Proverbs 18, 13. I'll end with this. It says, what a shame, what a folly to give advice before listening to the facts. That's in the Bible. Come wow. on, people. The power of listening, gathering the facts, you know, kind of assessing the entire situation before you make a conclusion, draw an opinion is really key and not practiced enough in our culture. That is so true. You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, Boo, is that even during this past season, a lot of us, we kind of got more glued to social media and with all the stress of the things, everything from the economy to civil unrest to the situation with the pandemic, a lot of people got really ugly on social media. And I think what it really was, it was a sin of selfishness that this thing, if you didn't take time to listen to others, you didn't take time to walk in other people's shoes and consider where they came from. That's such a great, great group. All right. The fifth and final point of how to collapse the selfie stick of selfishness is be generous. You know, one of the things in terms of the Bible is very clear of one of the ways that you can uh, wage good warfare is to act in the opposite spirit. Selfishness wants to pull everything in. Generosity opens it up and says, I want to give it out. In Proverbs 11, 24 to 26 says, there's one who scatters yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than what's right, but it leads to poverty. But here's the phrase, the generous soul be made rich and he who waters will also themselves be watered. And so this is just whole thing about generosity. And I think the more stressed people are, the more people close off their generosity. I, I find out that one of the greatest 
greatest challenges as a believer is when you're stressed out to still be generous. Generous with your resource, generous with your feelings and emotions, your love, generous with your time, generous with your intention. The Bible talks about that. And, and I'll just simply say this, selfishness is contagious, but so is generosity. And they've done studies on that when people have become generous, how it affects people uh, from that point of them receiving generosity to their next interaction with a person, how they become more generous. Self-giving means living our lives in a way that promotes service over status. Take Jesus, for example. He tells us in scripture that he came to serve, not be served. And along with that, Jesus also tells us to go to extra mile. And I think that is generosity. In Jesus' time, Roman law required young boys to help carry the packs of Roman soldiers one mile from where they live. This gave the soldiers a rest from carrying their gear, but it was hard work for the boys who helped them. In order to fulfill the law's minimum requirement, boys would often place a stake one mile from their house so they would know when to stop carrying the pack. But Jesus referenced this in one of his sermons, and this is the context of him encouraging followers to go the extra mile. That's the, where the phrase came from, go the extra mile. If you're forced to carry a soldier's pack one mile, go a second mile. In other words, do more than what is expected of you, and this is a guarantee to give of yourself every day. So keep it 100. Really, when we're talking about this whole thing of the cult of self, it is very real today, and you and I have to make a decision that we're going to live this life through the vintage lens of Jesus that laid down his life, and he says that we have to pick up the cross, deny ourselves, and as hard as that is, it's actually very freeing, and it's the most impactful way to live because at the end of the day, you can't take it with, right? Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends, and be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out, share this link on your social media platforms, and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you, so be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss next episode as we're going to have Micah Stegner on. We're going to continue this topic on Selfie Stick Saints Part 2. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it